0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money & Investing show. This week we are looking at the subject of good debt and bad debt. How do we define them? What they are? More importantly, how do you eliminate bad debt? Some really cool tips to help you on this journey. Make sure you take plenty of notes and as always, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with
1: me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Lorenzo. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Now, kinda of like you and I, the devil and the angel, we're gonna talk about good and bad debt on both shoulders, but not all what it seems, because there's a bit of a blurred line that we can provide here for a lot of our listeners and some tips and tricks in that debt recycling space. Mm. So really exciting episode, let's get stuck in. Very much so,
0: Uh, and like debt is a funny thing, you know, everyone's got a view on it. I remember growing up and still to this day, uh, you know, my father always said to me, you know, Andrew, as long as you've got debt, somebody owns you. So I've always been quite debt averse. My entire life, really, and um, and there are some benefits to that for sure. Uh, it's probably cost me an awful lot too in terms of what I could do with my investing, but uh, the lack of stress that comes uh, from being debt free is, is is well worth it. I can assure you. And in this environment of higher interest rates and creeping interest rates, it's uh, it's
1: uh, it's a real blessing. It's funny you say that because I've heard both both pieces of advice from various people. You know, my uncle, for example, is done a lot of investing you know, very anti-debt versus another guy I speak with i was calling Bob for an example he just loves debt mm. and his advice is just gear up to the hills as much as you can so both sides of the spectrum there but I guess we're going to try and see where the ball bounces in the middle somewhere and draw some things out of it. Always the best place for sure so
0: let's start off trying to define what these things are good and bad debt and you know labels are an important thing provided they're accurate and what they reflect sometimes things can get a label and it's, it's wholly inaccurate and it's misleading so good a couple of ways of defining it. If we're if we're to be sort of old school, number one is something you can afford to repay. Uh, is, uh, is, is keeping it fairly simple. Taking that a step further, good debt is something that is likely to be worth more to you in the future. So some examples of traditional what you would call good debt in 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 in, in regular lenses would be things like the mortgage on your home.
1: Place to live and you've got the benefit of somewhere
0: to live. Ideally over time it goes up in value depending on market conditions and, and and you've had the utility of everyone needs somewhere to live, so you've had that too. So yeah that's traditionally most people's biggest non deductible debt. Uh, and I'll talk about deductible debt later on. The second or third areas that you can look at in this, I think, take take university debt for example. Uh, and I know Joe Biden is trying to repeal. Um, you know, people didn't have to pay their, their their student loans back. The reality is, if you've invested in your education over a period of time as you get older, you should better capitalise on that through a higher paying job. So that outlay in your youth that you go into debt for, if you've got university or hex fees or whatever they might be, uh, we we're listening to this. The knowledge that you've acquired, you should be able to parlay into substantially more income down the tracks. So it's worth more to you in the future, so that'll be an example of
1: good debt. Typically, lower cost of capital too on a uni debt, usually on the index to inflation, which in normal times, if it's two or three percent, is actually okay. Yeah, a little bit trickier now for people. So, yeah, primary place
0: of residence, your mortgage and student uh, student loan will be two examples of you know typical good debt that that are out there. What about an investment property? Look, investment property is uh, a good debt too, particularly when you start to explore the um tax benefits of that and we'll talk a bit about tax benefits as we move a little bit further on in terms of deductibility because that's a huge game changer especially if you're like yourself and you're a high income earner where you've got a high marginal tax rate anything you can do to get that tax rate down uh, is
1: uh, is always a good thing takes one to know one only know what i do from you (laughs) let's talk about the other side the other shot we said the angel and the devil Mm. ab so the bad debt what are we looking at here
0: yeah bad debt credit card store cards buy now, pay later, personal loans, any of that sort of stuff, um, lifestyle assets, you know, you get a car loan, um, all of those things are, are, are bad debts because effectively they are hard to repay back given, in the case of credit cards for example, the the high interest rates uh, that are associated with them uh, it makes it very, very hard. And, you know, a lot of people get caught in that, that trap of paying the minimum amount each month and the debt goes on for years. Uh, accumulating interest uh, on the principal and it's quite an ugly scenario. Buy Now Pay Later is a relatively new one on the block but again that's something that's starting to come to the front and we flagged this
1: many, many times in this podcast series. It's funny you say that, literally I was watching the TV this morning and I won't mention the new Buy Now Pay Later provider Mm. but they had an ad in it, their slogan was don't just live life, own it by having Buy Now Pay Later which I thought to be a fundamental disconnect on the actual situation, it kind of made me cringe. Yeah, and I mean, thus far, and that may
0: change, but buy now, pay later, certainly here in Australia is one that's sort of tiptoed around the regulatory regime, where it's currently an unregulated uh, industry, uh, that may well change, um, and down the line, which you probably should have done many years ago, but we won't get on our soapbox on that. Um, other things, as I say, lifestyle assets, you know, you bought something that seemed like a good idea at the time, um, and, and you're stuck with the thing, and you're paying it off over over a while on personal finance, all, bad exa- all, all examples of bad debt, because they're not like Likely to
1: be worth more in the future. So bad debt, A B to sort of put a, a blanket rule around this typically incurs a higher cost of capital. Would that be a fair assumption?
0: Yeah. If you if you've got a loan on something and credit card debt is probably the best example of that, where you know it's, it usually sits up in the high teens, sometimes more, sometimes a bit less, but typically that's where it sits, which makes it yeah a very very expensive thing to service from a debt provisioning perspective, and 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 it can just leave people swamped and feeling overwhelmed where they just can't seem to get their head above water, and we'll go. Through some tricks and tips perhaps to help people if they do find themselves in that situation be able to get out of it in a, in a, in a far less painful way and far quicker so they can get on this road to financial redemption and, and
1: winning the game of money rather than being bashed over the head with it. So just sort of parlaying that next point, a. you mentioned for example a mortgage being an example of good debt. Mm. Now anyone out there who's a mortgage holder is probably feeling the pinch right now and is probably really angry at the fact that their cost of capital has probably almost doubled, I would say, on their interest rate if you're using a variable mm. a variable home loan. I guess what, what kind of tips and tricks or tax effective strategies in that in that space can we recommend to those people out there? Look, the, the, there
0: are things like debt recycling and I'll, I'll probably get on and talk about those a little bit later on. jumping the gun. As we day. as we move down uh, through the the areas of debt because I think when people are on this journey into financial literacy, some of this stuff is very, very obvious. Some of it is Less obvious, and some of it is actually reasonably advanced. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. Uh, and I think if you can get the basic planks on the deck in the first instance, um, by firstly identifying what you've got that's good, and then what you've got that's bad, so you can then focus your attention on eliminating the bad, and then ultimately eliminating the good. Um, after that is, is is probably the game plan. So, you know, I think, you know, if you think about. Having a mortgage on your home as a prime place of residence, there's interest that you have to pay. That's not tax deductible, but the trade-off is that you've got somewhere to live. And if you sort of go back to some of the other episodes we've done more recently, where we talk about having that one and three month of living expenses in cash, you're not looking for an investment return on that because that's just a tool that you've got in the cupboard should you fall upon hard times, whereas if you've got other cash from an investment perspective, you're then looking for a return on it. So when you look at a property, personal, primary place of residence, you've got to have somewhere to live, and if you can make some money on it, so much the better because it is tax-free, no capital gains tax at this point in time, again that's something else that's in the lenses of the government right now, um, but you know, if you're able to enhance the value in it um, and, and, and make some cash out of it, that's absolutely fantastic, but ultimately you have some. Where to live. An investment property is a different proposition because, yes, you are looking to invest to profit. That's what we aim to do with investments. And because it's in that investment space, the actual interest component, as well as a lot of other things. So, for example, you can claim depreciation on that property, you can't on your primary place of residence. Um, so, you know, your, your, your depreciation report will give you all the deductions you can have. Things like your body corporate, your rates, all of those sorts of things become deductible expenses for you. So, effectively, the investment side can be a very, very tax effective and and this is where the term negative gearing comes from where if the cost of looking after or servicing that investment property um, is more than the income that you receive from it, the loss that you're effectively making you can then offset against your income tax on the other side of the ledger. Now you remember the loss you're making is a cash flow loss which you're then claiming back against your tax on the other side but ultimately the value of that property is hopefully moving up higher for you so where you're wearing a cash flow loss now which is net zeroed off against your income tax long term you're going to gain out of it by the capital gain and the value of that property. So that's why investment properties are very, very popular. If you're an employee, for example, there are very few tax deductions that you can get. So, you know, negatively gearing your property is probably one to look at. It's a bit of a poison chalice sometimes because you still have to have the ability to service that debt. So I've always been of the view where positively geared property, where you get an income from it, is better than something that costs you money.
1: Probably good too if you are negatively geared, if you're a high income earner out there, as you mentioned, Mm. having that offset your tax return at the end of the year, right?
0: It does. It helps it brings the pain down for sure and you still get the benefit of the gain out of that property. So I guess you know if you start to look at where you're at and and, and look at some of the bad debt you may have. So let's say for argument's sake you've got um, a nagging credit card debt that's just been sitting around for ages and you keep trying to chip away and then it's Christmas and then if you're in my house it's birthday season and then you're away on a holiday. Every time you look like you're getting out of trouble something comes along and it kind of pulls you back in. One of the the biggest difficulties people can find is they can get very, very easily overwhelmed by that. They don't know where to go, what to do. So here's an example of some of the things you could do if you work on the basis of refinancing. uh, And what I mean by that is clubbing together all of this bad debt that you have, finding out what that number is, which is quite startling for some people as they, they go on this journey, and then paying it off in one simple way by taking out something like a personal loan with the bank. Now, you haven't got rid of your debt but what you have done is reduced your interest rate probably by 50%. So you're
1: saying take out the personal loan at a lower interest rate, use that to pay off your higher interest rate. rate Let's say
0: hypothetically the personal loan is at 9% and your credit card debt is at 18. Makes paid sense. off of the personal loan, and you just have the interest that you've got to pay back. Secondly, on a personal loan, typically there's going to be a principal and interest component to that as well. So instead of just paying the interest and never really getting the debt paid down on the credit card, um, you're actually getting the debt paid down as well. Now, there is a bit is, of discipline in that, though, isn't there? There is an enormous amount of discipline, <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, and that's why this is what I'd consider to be more of an intermediate type strategy because having zeroed out your credit card, that's not an excuse to go, oh, great, I've got all this credit card capacity. Yeah, go spend, let's go yeah. again because then you'll have the personal loan to service plus the credit card so you do require a level of discipline. Best thing you can do if you've taken that action step is just get rid of your buy now pay later account get rid of your credit card account for the moment. Chop it up. And, 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 and at best replace your credit card with a debit card, so you've got to have the coin in the account to to, to actually facilitate the transaction. But the advantage to that, as I say, you know, you're halving your interest rate, which is making the repayments more manageable. You're also paying principal and interest, uh, which is also attractive because you are actually reducing the debt rather than just servicing the interest on it. Now, the downside to doing that as uh, the discipline factor is huge, but also it may affect your credit score for a period of time because you've got a personal loan. Um, That typically should be short term. If you meet your repayments, on time and you get that loan paid off, then it's, it's going to be a very temporary impact on your credit score. And then you're in a position where you've been able to build a relationship with the bank and you've shown debt serviceability, which likely will help you down the line to get a property. Going back to the discipline side, this is crucial. You can only engage on these sorts of strategies when you have a level of discipline behind what you're doing. And I guess you know where we've taken this journey with some of the sort of foundational type content that we've done of late is all about helping people build up that money discipline, so that with what they're doing, they are doing things that are proactively moving them forward. The worst thing you can do is get your debt paid off and then great bang and go even harder on your card and 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 create a bigger
1: problem. You've managed to get yourself out of trouble now stay out of trouble. Okay, so hot tip for those people there trying to stay out of trouble, AB, if we can just elaborate on that a little bit.
0: Mm. I would say get rid of your credit card is probably one of the best things that you can do if it's the thing that's got you into that situation. You know, and like online shopping is a big one for people where to you know, alleviate boredom in a very, very simple example, or maybe they're missing something in their life, they feel that retail therapy is a way of, of, of filling in that box. Working on the habit, and we talked earlier on about goals and habits and identity as a person, working on the habit that's caused that problem and eliminating that bad habit will make that problem not recur in the future. Whatever you buy is not going to replace dissatisfaction in your life, guaranteed.
1: So work on fixing the dissatisfaction rather than retail therapy. Got you. Now you mentioned that this is a bit of an, an intermediate strategy as such, and mm. you wanted to get to this later, I probably the gun a little bit, mm. but debt recycling. Mm. Can we run through that now as to what that is, how it it works and how to actually do it. <laughs> yeah, look, this is this is moving down the line for sure. And I think once you've demonstrated
0: the ability to build the muscle memory and the discipline to tackle your bad debt, get it paid off, uh, and approach life uh, through that fresh set of debt-free lenses or, or smart debt lenses, debt recycling is is really interesting. So. Debt recycling, and this is not for everybody, you need advice on this, and you need to be a certain personality type to embrace it, so I'm not looking to provide tax advice for people in this presentation and conversation we're having, and it's not financial advice, you need to take this on board and look at it against your own personal circumstance, and of course what your tax situation is, and get advice on it. So taking out an investment loan is effectively the guts of where debt recycling really sits. So let's say you've got $300,000 owing on the mortgage on your home, and you take out an investment loan of another $200,000 or $300,000 investment loan. Now, in the first instance, you know, that's the sort of thing that sends a shudder down people's spine because like, oh, I'm trying to get rid of my debt not have more. But the way that they're treated is very different. So an investment loan, the interest associated with it, the costs associated with it are tax deductible because it's an investment loan rather like an investment property. So. Working that investment loan, you've got to have a strategy that you're comfortable with. And that's why this is like a tier three strategy this down is, the yeah, line. This, hard. Is, this, is, this is not meat and potato stuff. So you've worked on a strategy that you're consistent with that's making you great money. Um, you then use that investment loan uh, using that borrowed funding. And let's say you're using something in the stock market and some of the conditions I would advise on clients were in this space, if you're using borrowed money, I'd look to insure your shares. And um, There are techniques that we use to help people insure their shares, to protect them from a fall
1: in the market, to ensure that their, their loan doesn't blow out. And so, sorry, just to pause here, so you're taking out an investment loan and you're using that investment loan to undertake a strategy, whatever a, a that may be. A strategy
0: or an investment of some description, correct. To or a rate of return, okay. Yeah,
1: and, and let's
0: say that strategy Able to yield you 12% a year. So you've got a $200,000 or $300,000 loan, there's 36 grand of income that's come in from that. Rather than take that $36,000 and then pay down your investment loan, take that 36 grand and use it on your mortgage to pay that down. And the reason for this, you're working on chipping away at that bad debt of the mortgage, or sorry, the good debt of the mortgage, but the lack of tax deductibility that's in it. 36 grand taken off the principal on your mortgage, gets your repayments down, it's gonna enable you to get your loan paid off more quickly and get more cash flow. Now at the same time, that investment loan has just grown because you're not repaying it, you're taking the proceeds out and putting it on the other side of the ledger, which means there's potentially more tax deductibility for you on that side as well. So you've got a double-prong attack. You're paying down a mortgage, which is non-tax deductible for you over here, and it's probably at the moment certainly an area of pain for many people, and you're replacing it with a tax deductible debt. Okay, so that's, that's step one in the process. Once your mortgage is done, You can then get that, and the principles that you've used to pay down your non-tax deductible mortgage, you can then take the same process you're using and use that to repay your investment loan with the proceeds off of that.
1: So this is a fairly long-term strategy that you're looking to apply, time frame, what, 10, 20 years? Yeah, so let's just say
0: you took a 15-year view on this, which for a lot of people, it feels like a lifetime. But let's face it, if you've got a 30-year mortgage, and by taking some proactive steps like that, you can get that mortgage reduced to, say, 15, 16 years. It's a big difference, it's a lot. Now that's then 15 or 16 years of income that you previously would have had set aside to pay your mortgage that you can start investing with. And to give you an idea of how the time can work, even if you're working that at say 4%, you could pick up, just in terms of getting that mortgage paid off early, an additional, I think, something like 530 grand of investment return of money to then use towards your retirement by using that strategy. So it's a wealth creation exercise as well. It's a very well. powerful wealth creation strategy. We're not going into all the numbers and the internet doesn't lend itself to this kind of conversation, but the notion of using tax-deductible debt to then get paid off your non-deductible
1: debt is, is where the game is. My question to you, and we kind of, I'm going to come back to this, mm. discipline. If you're earning a great rate of return on your investment loan, mm-hmm. how hard is it for most people to then move it over to that side of the ledger and actually facilitate that process. It does require, pro- you, you've got to have a focus and your goal of doing that is very
0: specifically focused on getting your home paid off, your primary place of residence paid off. That's what the goal is with this. Once that goal is achieved, there's a net surplus cash flow that you can then use to start creating your overall wealth. And, you know, when you compare that to putting money into super, so you could put an additional 25 grand a year as a, a voluntary contribution into your, into your super, you get taxed on it, or you could take that money and and, and work it far harder um, by getting your mortgage paid off because, you know, if your mortgage rate is 8-9% and you get the mortgage paid off, well, your return on your capital is 8-9%, same thing, right? Which outperforms a lot of supers right now, that's for sure. So there's another thing that you can potentially look at doing. There are so many things in this debt reduction space. That said, we're replacing that good debt with an investment loan, which is a tax-deductible debt. And this whole notion of tax deductibility is crucial, and that, I guess, leads us into then structuring and why structuring is so important. Because can anyone do this based on their structure? You can. I mean, again, sit down and talk to your advisor on this in terms of what the optimal structuring is for you. We're not looking to give that advice now. I think probably the biggest game changer for me personally um, was, yeah, you know, I was an employee for a period of time, you know, a long time ago now, and I remember reading Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad, and you start to realise how different the game can be if your structuring is correct. And this is quite a painful example for me because you know, I'm from a pretty poor working class family. My dad used to bust his back at a car factory. Any amount of overtime he could do, he would. Or he'd fix cars at weekends or work on a building site. So he was a real graft my father, great example of what you can do with your life. And And my mum was a cleaner, so they weren't in high income earning jobs. And I'd got myself into university, and I remember my dad going, well, you know, we're going to have to like, help you out a little bit with some money. So I'll do some overtime and, 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 and boost my income and just worked even harder to, to give me a start. And because their income had moved over a threshold, I got nothing from the government towards my university because my parents were deemed as earning slightly too much. And it was literally by like 500 pounds. Oh, that's tough. That's really so tough. So watching my dad bust his bag and my mum doing the same thing and, and, and because it was just over that threshold I got no government contribution to, towards my time at university. Now at the time one of my girlfriends, her family was exceptionally wealthy, self-employed, had his own business but was able to structure his affairs in such a way that she was able to qualify for full government assistance and he's making millions and my dad's making you know, maybe 15, 20 grand a year and my dad's having to sort of pay for me, whereas they were sort of riding the gravy chain, so to speak, and that, I didn't realize how important structuring was. i saw the anecdotal evidence of it at that stage at, at, at uni, as I say, with my girlfriend's family. Um, but when I sort of re-rich dad, poor dad, and understand that the quicker you can move yourself into a corporate structure, Uh, The way the tax code is here, and it's certainly the same in the U.S. and most countries around the world, the ability to start claiming more and more things as a business expense, reducing your personal tax liability and and the things that you can then purchase but use for business makes an awful lot of sense. I've seen some crazy examples of that over the years. So car, for example, which is not really a great um, thing to have in your own name because it's a non-deductible expense. If it's a company car, it's a deductible expense. You've got the same car, but you're just not paying tax on it now of tips and tricks, yeah. Yeah, another one, and again, don't take this as, as tax advice. You've got to go talk to your accountant on this sort of stuff. Um, but I've got some friends, they've, they've got a boat, and it's a, it's a, it's a decent boat, a few million dollar boat. And uh, they they got a private ruling on this, which you can do on tax claims uh, through a tax barrister and some other work in that space, where their business has naming rights on their boat, and the naming rights cover running the boat and probably a payoff towards what it costs them to have. They run all their business, in an online business, so they do their podcasts and their YouTube content and everything off the boat with the company name in the background which is on the boat because it's naming rights
1: and the boat's a deduction for them. Well, I know what what I'll be asking for well, after this episode and vote for us to do a podcast on. That's more the sort of pointy
0: end of, of very specific examples. And I'm not suggesting that's what everyone should be rushing out to do. But if you've got a good set of advisors and good, strong, solid legal opinion on things, pushing the envelope and testing. I don't mean stepping over the line and transgressing, but working on what you can do in terms of you know, using structuring to assist you with tax effectiveness. And that then reframes what's good and bad debt because if it's claimable, it's good debt. So all of a sudden, the boat's not a lifestyle asset. It's actually a good good debt because it's a tax write-off for them within their business. And you can still use it on the weekend, right? I'm sure they keep very detailed logs as to what's for personal use and what's not. But that's, again, a bit of a grey area that we probably don't need to get into. And, and I guess the, the, the case in point is that, well, if Telstra, name a stadium, for, for footy, for example, that's 100% right off for them because it's a marketing expense. Well, that's exactly the same for them. They're instead of putting on a stadium, they're putting on a nice boat. Makes sense. Mm. It's within the law, right? So yeah. it's fine. So so structuring is a huge thing. and, and you know We won't go too far down the rabbit hole on that because again, it takes a, a good quality team, which we've talked about before, to have the right advisors to coach you in that way. But that's where you can then start to take things that are not necessarily the best debt and structure them the way where they can be beneficial for you. But that's probably a tier 4 or tier 5 tier type, type strategy. St- syntax basics, first of all, get that bad debt paid down, look at refinancing and using a lower interest rate that's principal and interest to, to get that credit card paid off. Once you've got that done and you've demonstrated to yourself that you've got the discipline to to do that, one of the things to then perhaps start looking at is that debt recycling, where you can use an investment loan and the tax deductibility to help play down your primary place of residence and get that mortgage gone, which frees up more cash flow for you to win the game of money. But it starts by understanding what bad debt is, lifestyle assets, stay the heck away from them, definitely get rid of that credit card debt buy now, pay later, any of that kind of junk because it's a millstone around your neck. Once you've done those things and you've built the muscle memory around what it took to do it and the discipline that you start to build when you start to realise that instead of being whipped, you're actually starting to win the game of money some, gives you the confidence to move into that next level and where you take that just based on the conversation we've had here. You know, debt recycling is a great way. Getting your structuring done correctly is another thing that's quite important. And before you know it, you might be in a position where you're
1: sponsoring your own boat too. But it starts by getting the basics right. Amy, love it. Who would have thought good debt, bad debt episode would go down that. There's plenty in there for our listeners. So thank you very, very much. Absolute pleasure anytime, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe. And we'll look forward to hosting you next week.